everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Priyanka, and this is the Supply Chain Scoop, your midweek source of refreshing supply chain content and stories straight from titans in the industry. I'm in conversation with Ben Cook, COO of MedMen, the largest cannabis company in the U.S. But let me back up here a little bit and address the legend that is Ben Cook. I started working in supply chain in 2016 when I first started following Ben. And at the time, he was the director of supply chain and logistics in Apple. He was working on building the supply chain for iPhones and iPads. The following year, I noticed that Ben went on to lead the supply chain at Target and the year after that at Walmart. Cut to the present date, and Ben has basically transitioned from moving iPhones to moving weed. I mean, how dope is that? I have so many questions for Ben, not least of which is how and why did he even decide to make such a big career move? And then, of course, a lot of other questions about the cannabis industry itself and its supply chain challenges. What's also extremely interesting is that MedMen is often called the Apple Store of Weed. So everything really has come full circle. And I'm going to be asking Ben a lot about how his former Apple experience is helping him in his current role. There is a lot to talk about, so let's just get on. Hi there, Ben. I'd love an introduction to yourself. Yeah, my name is uh, Ben Cook. I currently reside in Los Angeles in the U.S., and I'm Chief Operating Officer for a company called MedMen. MedMen is a vertically integrated cannabis company that both harvests, cultivates, manufactures, and then distributes and sells cannabis products through both wholesale channels as well as our retail store footprint across the U.S. So why don't we start with a quick brief of the cannabis rules and regulations? How many states is it legal in, medical versus recreational, a a little bit of a lay of the land, if you will? You know, it's funny because this changes so frequently. We just had the big midterm elections in the U.S. in November, and we saw several states pass legislation related to both recreational um, use and then medical use of cannabis or marijuana. So you actually have now over 40 states, I think it's 43 at the last count date in the United States that either have a medical program and or a recreational adult use program. So almost every state now in the U.S. has some form of cannabis legislation that's been approved for use. Oh, wow. Now, of course, like I mentioned in my introduction, I've been following you for years, and it's really interesting that from established companies like Apple, Target, and Walmart, you've now moved to MedMen. What made you make the jump? Yeah, it's funny. A lot of people ask me that. In fact, if you had if you had told me uh, this time last year that I'd be working for a cannabis company running its operations, I would have said you're crazy because I didn't. <laughs> I hadn't kept up with the industry at all. It was not something that was on my radar. I think for me, it, there were two things that really made this incredibly exciting and and helped me make the jump from established corporate America now to a startup cannabis firm. And the first really was around purpose, just thinking about the goodness that can come from cannabis. As I started to study and learn more about it, I recognized that there's a lot of medical benefit. There's a lot of health and wellness benefit that people can enjoy from this product. In fact, it, for me, it's personal because I have a family member that has chronic health issues and she's had to take a number of high-powered pharmaceutical drugs for the last 10 years. The problem with that is that those drugs have a lot of different side effects. And so as I started to learn about this and study about it, this family member started to experiment with cannabis as a way to try to to get off those uh, medications and and really drive a better sense of wellness and health with them. And so they actually did that and very successfully. And so she's actually off of all her medications now and thriving 
And so for me, that was something really personal that we're actually was able to see, you know, firsthand the power from a health and wellness perspective that this product can deliver to people. So that was one. And then two, I think the other piece was just the uh, culture of the company. MedMen has got a really energetic, really young, vibrant culture. Uh, in fact, it reminds me a lot of my days at Apple. And so when I actually came and met with the founders, walked around the, the facilities, got to meet with the people, went out to the factory, and really just had a, a lot of interaction with people at the company, it reminded me a lot of Apple. And just that vibe and the energy was so exciting that I said, this is really something I want to come and be part of. And not to mention, it's not it's not every day that you get a call from someone to help come and actually create an industry. And so for me, that was, you know, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to come and actually help define what the industry is going to look like, you know, 50, 100 years from now. That is so interesting. And it's also super impactful to see the effect, I suppose, of cannabis and someone that you know personally that would help push anyone over the edge, not to mention, as you said, it's, it's a fast-growing industry. It's interesting you mention connection of MedMen to get the feeling like it was an Apple. MedMen stores are touted to be Apple stores of weed, or at least a lot of press has that. Was it a conscious decision to design the stores as such? And what effect do you think this has on the brand? All those decisions were made prior to me joining. I've been here for almost two months now. You know, there's it's funny in business because you'll see these companies pop up, a company like MedMen, and people will assume, oh, this is kind of an overnight success. Reality is our two founders, they, they founded the company 12 years ago. So they've been working on this well before the time that it was becoming, you know, mainstream and, and acceptable, you know. And so, yeah, I think they made the decision years ago as they looked at different uh, retail companies, as they looked at different companies that were innovative. And there were a lot of concepts that, that I think they were able to pull from Apple that they felt like were very relevant to the cannabis space. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're all humbled that we're, you know, anytime we, you get compared to Apple or Starbucks or some of these really great companies that are out there, obviously it's humbling. And, you know, it helps us feel like that we're setting up an experience that uh, consumers will continue to love. And, you know, our goal has got to be we've got to continue to keep it a great experience when uh, customers come in um, to shop with us because there's a lot of competition out there and it's all about the experience at the end of the day. Super cool. How does your Apple background help? You know, I think my Apple background helped us in a couple of ways. I think, again, there's a lot of similarities, even though the product is different. But when I joined Apple, the iPad had just been launched. The iPhone is, was already obviously successful. But Apple was doubling in size every 18 months or so. And so, you know, even though Apple's a much bigger company even back then than we are today at MedMen, I just think that this whole scaling exercise of going from taking a, a product that we're trying to scale now into and to drive innovation in reminds me a lot of Apple. It's just the, the scaling component. Also with Apple, the complexity, dealing with a lot of different suppliers, dealing with you know, different lead times, a lot of complexity in terms of how the product was manufactured and then distributed through the network. I would actually say it's much more complex in the cannabis space because of the regulations. Right. But just this idea of scaling something to much bigger than it is today it's comparable. And so I think just what I learned there in terms of how do you take a, a shelf back mentality and say, okay, if I want the product available on this specific date in the store, let me work all the way back through the supply chain to make sure that I know when the raw materials have to come into the factories, when the first production runs have to be done, and then arranging all the transportation and distribution to make sure products get into the store itself. All of the training at Apple and Apple having been a new product company and 
constantly launching products is very relevant to what we're doing at MedMen. Wow, that's incredible. Who would have thought? Let's talk about the product for a little bit. So cannabis is an interesting one because it has a long shelf life just like medicines and is very much regulated like the pharmaceutical industry. Yet in the way that it's produced and grown, you know, it's smaller units just like groceries and not in mega factories like in the case of pharmaceuticals. Where exactly is it positioned and what industry does it fall closest to in terms of how the operations and supply chain is set up for it? Yeah, that's a great question. I think you have to take a combination of industries when you talk about cannabis. So I agree with you. I think you can compare it to pharma when you think about uh, regulations and legislation. I think one of the differences in cannabis and pharma, though, is typically with pharma, you have, you know, regulatory guidelines that cover all of these states. And with cannabis, in some cases, you even have municipalities within a state developing their own set of regulations. So when we think about just keeping up with the legislation and the regulations and making sure that we're compliant, we really have to be constantly looking at both the local government as well as the state that we're operating in. And then eventually, over time, hopefully the federal government, as it becomes mainstreamed and and legalized from a recreational standpoint, like Canada just passed, that obviously will help. But until we're there, there's a lot that we have to do to make sure that we remain compliant and that we're working within those different guidelines and regulations that we to respect. So I would say it's, it's, it's more complicated than pharma when we think about the, the legislation, the regulations. But pharma is a, is a good comparison. I think the other comparison could be to the alcoholic beverage and tobacco industries mm. that are regulated and that have an, an age component. So for us, you have to be 21 years of age or older in the state to consume cannabis. And so there's a lot of similarities with the uh, alcohol and tobacco industries as well. When we think about safeguarding products and keeping it you know, for adult use only and making sure that only adults are accessing the product and uh, consuming it. Right. How interesting. Let's talk a little bit about the operational setup itself then. Uh, you know, what does it look like? What are the distribution nodes? What are perhaps some of the biggest challenges in your supply chain? There's a number of challenges. I think let's just start if we go, I like to always think shelf back, but it, let's just say we're already we're, we're already set on talking through and enabling a consistent experience at the shelf or at the home for home delivery. If we were to work our way all the way back upstream, it really starts with the plant itself. And so we, we call seed to sale. We do a lot of things like we talk about seed to sale tracking, you know, seed to sale lead time or cycle times. And so if you start with the seed itself, you know, determining the types of strains, marijuana has a lot of different strains, there's thousands of strains on the market. So for us, it begins with, okay, well, what are the different strains of product that we want to manufacture? What do the customers want? When we think about a wellness and medical market or wellness and medical approach, that in some cases, that's very different than a adult use kind of recreational market. What I mean by that is in certain states you can only sell, for example, the raw flour itself, or you can only sell drops that have CBD oil in them. In other states, you can basically sell anything as it relates to the product. And so for us, it really starts with, okay, well, what is it that we want to make? What are the strains that the uh, the customers want? And then now as we work our way through it, a lot of it then goes back to, okay, how are we doing harvesting the plants? What's our uh, yield ratio on the plants? How much how many grams you know, or ounces of flour or oil are we able to produce per plant? It's, it's no different than a manufacturing line when you're looking at your first-time quality, when you're looking at your yield on your product. For us, it just happens to be a living organism that's, that's creating flour and oil that we convert into a finished good product. So a lot, of the, a lot of the cultivation techniques, making sure that we're getting 
very quality product coming out of the facilities. And then once we manufacture the product and making sure that it gets distributed. And I think from a supply chain perspective, some of the challenges with that is in some markets, we have to be vertically integrated so we control the supply chain from seed to sale. Mm. In other markets, we're not allowed to be fully vertically integrated in some states and cases. We, many cases, will manufacture the product, then we'll have to ship it to a distributor, and then that distributor takes it into our stores. And so it can be challenging to drive economies of scale when you have different processes in different states because you have to set up each state almost as its unique, its own market. And I think we may talk about it later, but we even have, there's regulations in place today where you can't move product between states. And so in those cases, then we have to set up manufacturing in every state that we operate in, or we have to go into an arrangement with a wholesaler or a distributor to buy through them. So just the whole distribution component itself and and managing inventory and the movement of the goods is very challenging because, again, we can't move it between states. It has to be done in the state that it's sold in. Right. That is incredibly interesting because that was one of the things I was wondering is because it's not legal in all states. So say, for instance, if there is a state where it's being manufactured and in that state, if it's legal for wheat to be used both recreationally and for medical purposes, if you then have to transport that to a neighboring state that only allows medical use of cannabis, can that logistics happen? Can that interstate logistics happen? No, today you, you have to manufacture in the state where it's going to be sold. So to your point, and that's that's one of the challenges, and hopefully over time we'll see the regulations change. But, you know, for, if you're thinking of economics, you're thinking of, of cost, you know, total landed cost, obviously, you know, instead of having a, a factory in every state, maybe there's a centralized factory and then it, it services multiple states. But to, in today's world, that, that can't take place because of the regulations. Oh, God. Wow. That is incredibly complex. Does this also mean then, you know, given the nature of the product, and I guess this goes back to comparing it with iPhones in a way because they're both small products and high value products. Does this mean that you've got to use special logistics providers and it just can't be the way that any other manufacturer or retailer would be considering their logistics options? Yeah, absolutely. The transportation provider um, or distribution provider has to have specific licenses. Depending on the, the state or municipality that you're in, in some states, you know, you have to have two drivers instead of one. In certain states, you can only have a certain amount of product on a vehicle. So, for example, in, in California, at least in Los Angeles, for home delivery products, you can't carry more than $10,000 of product in a vehicle at any given time. But, you know, if you had a cargo van and you're going to do milk runs throughout the day, dropping off packages to people, you're going to be limited there in terms of how much can go out at a time because of some of these conveyance rules about the the value of the product, the maximum value that can be carried. And then um, the other thing is safety, right? We don't want want people to be unsafe. And so when we think about a cargo van uh, moving product like this around, you know, we have to be really careful to make sure that the driver and and if someone's riding with them, uh, that they're safe. We're not putting them in danger. That is incredibly interesting. So talk to me a little bit about how you plan for the inventory for this, because, you know, with established industries, there's like demand planning that can happen from historical sales data. How does it work in MedMen and specifically within the cannabis industry? Yeah, that's probably one of the biggest challenges today. You know, we've talked about regulatory and differences in laws, but you know, that from an inventory perspective, in many cases, we don't know what the demand is going to be. And the reason I say that is you're going from an industry that's been dominated by the black market, so obviously there's not going to be any data available there to now a legitimate, regulated, legalized industry. And so, 
as we as we launch new stores or as we launch products, as we launch new markets that are coming online, in many cases, we really don't know what the demand is going to be. We try to look at industry research the best we can, but even that is going to be limited in its insight because as markets go from black market now to legal, it's hard to know. And so I actually draw the comparison to Apple. You know, when the iPad was first uh, developed and launched, you know, we really had no clue what the demand was going to be. I mean, we could, there were some estimates that we were able to come up with, but the reality was, you know, they're semi-informed uh, guesses at, at best. And so when the Apple Watch was launched, the same thing, we really weren't sure what the uptake was going to be. We weren't sure, you know, what the, the demand was going to be for that. And so we see the same thing with cannabis now, which is why it's important for us to continue to build out things like, uh, you know, robust sales and operations planning process, which we're in the process of rolling out. And then also just partnering with different groups. I'm hopeful over time you're going to see, you know, industry data that's available and reputable that's published frequently where companies can use that to start to think about their product lifecycle management and just overall apply demand integration. Excellent. One of the things that I'm personally very interested uh, to know about is the marketing of cannabis. So in the retail industry for most products, right, they're marketed openly through various channels, whether that's TV or social media or hoardings or what have you. Cannabis obviously doesn't have that luxury yet. It also seems like there's a lot of stigma or taboo or a lot of misinformation generally as well when it comes to cannabis. How do you market MedMen as well as how is the demand growing so quickly? I think I saw some ridiculous number the other day that you guys have grown at 1,088% this quarter compared to the year before. Mm-hmm. So how yeah. exactly is that happening and how does the marketing and you know sharing of information about the product and the company work in such a regulated environment? Yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges when we think about outside of all the regulatory stuff we've talked about is, you're right, very limited in what we can do today from a marketing perspective. You know, we're leveraging what we can. So, you know, we do, some states will allow us to do some advertising over the the radio. You know, certain states now are opening up and allowing some advertisement to be done either on billboards. You know, you can uh, advertise in magazines now. Typically, the magazines that are going to be cannabis-related magazines, you're not going to see a cannabis ads, the New York Times or <laughs> the Wall Street Journal or something like that. So you're right. There is a, still a, a stigma that we continue to have to work through, which if you actually go back to the original kind of vision statement of MedMen, it was pretty simple and straightforward. And it was really the goal was to mainstream marijuana is what uh, Adam Bierman would talk about, our founder. And so that's been his mission from day one is, is how do you get rid of the stigma and how do you educate people in a way where they're at least knowledgeable and they can make an informed decision. And I won't get into kind of politics and history of cannabis in the United States and even globally, but the reality is there just has been a lot of misinformation. And I think, you know, I think there's a lot of different reasons for that, but I think that as people are experimenting and they come into a state where say it's legal, if they're coming from a state where it's not legal and let's say they make a visit to Los Angeles or they make a visit to Las Vegas and they get a chance to try the product, many people are surprised. And they're, they, they, many people, I've had many people tell me, well, I was surprised. I, I was really scared of cannabis. I was afraid that, you know, it, it might be a bad experience. Or I've had this one common, you know, I had a bad experience in high school or a bad experience in college. And so I never wanted to touch it again. And, and now as people are, are seeing, hey, if you have product that's manufactured under very high quality standards, ISO certifications, you know, a lot of quality control that goes in to protect the product and make sure that it's a very clean, you know, organic, safe product, people are finding that the experience is much different than maybe if they bought it on the black market. 
and you know, and who knows what they got? It could have been, right. you know, it could have had other drugs laced in with it. Um, right. It could have been the wrong kind of strain because you have different effects. So typically, with a sativa strain, that's going to be something that you would consume during the day for energy and creativity. But you wouldn't want to necessarily uh, potentially do that at night before you're going to go to bed because your mind's racing and you can't go to sleep. Whereas typically, someone that suffers from insomnia or they need help going to sleep. They'll use an indica form of the product, and for most people, that actually helps them become tired and then get really good rest. Now, I was just going to say on the advertising side, I think from day one, we've tried to, we've we've had a couple of campaigns, Adweek and some others have have picked up and and done some articles on our advertising because we've had to get really creative with that. So if you're in L.A., you'll see billboards everywhere, and you'll see just the word cannabis and so a, a lot of what we've been doing is trying to show people that, you know, you have to get away from this kind of mentality in the U.S. of stoner, like the stoner mentality that if you consume cannabis that you're not going to be productive, that you're not going to be contributing to society. And what we're finding is there's a lot of professional people that, that use cannabis that are just as professional as they were when they didn't use it, or in some cases even more creative. And so um, just the whole stigma, a lot of it is just an education and, and helping people really understand the the realities of what truly is cannabis. Right, absolutely. A lot of awareness that needs to be created. Do you think influencer marketing is something that you see picking up given the regulations around it? Yeah, we're seeing some states. For example, in Nevada, they're um, loosening up what you can do from a from a marketing and, and advertising standpoint, so which makes sense. They're a very touristy state. You get a lot of people that come in from places where cannabis is not mainstream and it's not available. And so, you know, I think that's going to be an important market. Yeah, I think over time you're going to, you'll certainly see regulations change, but it's going to take some time. I think it's still, again, it's all about education and, and, and obviously any cannabis company that's out there, we've got to do our job to make sure that we're providing a safe experience and that we're welcoming people. And I think that's honestly, you know, if you, you go back to when we are talking about the kind of the Apple analogy, I think one of the things that's made men, men successful is just, the, from my perspective, even though I'm biased, um, I've gone to a lot of dis- dispensaries to do some benchmarking. And what I typically find when you come into a MedMen is it's a very open, bright, welcoming environment. It feels like you're going into a legitimate retail establishment. Unfortunately, there's some cannabis stores that are out there that still feel uh, a little scary when you go in. You right. go in and it's a, it's a very dark store. There's, a, there's one entrance and then you have to go out the back to the exit and mm-hmm. in a MedMen store you you walk in the front door like you would an Apple store or a, you know, any other retail store, and you go out the same door, and you feel like you've just been shopping for any other kind of retail item. You don't feel like you're doing something wrong. In some of these other dispensaries, it almost feels like you're breaking the law when you go into these places because um, they're not as, uh, as friendly as, as maybe a MedMen store would be. Right, that would make sense. And and some of them you probably are. <laughs> That's another problem in the industry as well, right, which creates quite a bit of stigma, which is where for folks to know that this is legal, safe, is probably something that needs to happen. Talk to me a little bit about the distribution notes itself. I know you mentioned that there are stores, obviously, and you've just mentioned dispensaries. So if folks that are looking to get cannabis, the end consumers, where would they be getting it from? So historically, the end consumer would have to physically go to a dispensary. Now, if you go back before the before markets started to go recreational or adult use, um, where they were medical states only, um, and it still would exist in a medical state today, like a place like Florida, in a medical state, you have to go to a doctor or a physician. 
they have to then refer you to an approved licensed dispensary. And then there you would work directly with a pharmacist or a physician to, to figure out what product is needed for your medical condition. And so obviously that, that experience is going to be a lot different than, for example, in L.A. now, where we're piloting home delivery. So oh, wow. uh, for certain stores in, in Los Angeles, if you're in a qualifying zip code, you can go and, and actually buy through us and have product delivered to your home. But that, again, that goes back to the regulations. Certain states are going to allow that. Certain municipalities within a state will allow it. Certain are not. And so I guess kind of to sum this up, the challenge today is that you, it, you can't get a consistent experience throughout the U.S. just because you have these different rules and, and regulations in place. And so, again, it just makes it a little more complex when you talk about supply chain strategy because having to build a supply chain to service the needs of the market that are very much subject to specific regulations. In the future, you may see the cannabis supply chain look very different. And so it's why we have to also be mindful when we're developing things that we're able to scale it and not put ourselves in a position where we build a lot of overhead and a lot of fixed assets that aren't flexible, where 10 years from now or even five years from now, because the industry is moving so fast, may not be relevant anymore. And I think the winners are going to be the ones that are are able to quickly pivot as regulations change, as markets open, and do it in a way where they're able to, to maintain their margins. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, especially in an industry where you have no precedent for how it's going to move and how quickly. So paint me a picture then. It's 2028, 10 years from now. What is MedMen up to and what does the cannabis industry look like? Wow. So 2028, 10 years from now, I think the cannabis space will look incredibly different. I'm hoping that there will be a number of MedMen stores in London so you and I can, can have a conversation and we can look back 10 years ago and say, wow, look how far the industry has come, look how much it's changed. You know, I'd, I'd love to see uh, MedMen stores all over the globe. I envision a world where you have a full legalization across all the states in the U.S., and that you get to more common standards and regulations that are more at the federal level. I think you're going to have a lot of new forms of medication and wellness products on the market that don't exist today that are going to help people alleviate pain and suffering, um, that will, will bring happiness and wholeness to families and to individuals. And I think the world will be a happier and, and healthier and kinder place in, in 2028 because I think you're going to see a lot of different uses of the product that's going to drive health, wellness, and happiness to people. And it'll all be because pioneers, and there's there's a lot lot of companies that have been at this for a long time, but the, the pioneers that have, that have stayed through this have, have gone through the hard times that have educated the government officials, consumers, communities. I think those are going to be the people that help uh, turn this into an everyday product that, you know, everyone is going to use or at least know about. There you go. That sounds like a much better world to me. I think I'm, I'm not going to wait for 10 years for it to come to London. So I think I'm going to have to make a trip to LA to see you <laughs> and to talk about this because I have had such an incredible time speaking with you as always, Ben. I think a lot of people listening in will find a lot of this information quite useful and interesting, especially because it's just something a lot of people don't know about. And all of the stuff that goes on in the background to ensure that this stuff is being moved in a manner that it would, would basically be safe. So thank you so much taking out the time to chat with me i had a lot of fun as always and we should definitely do a part two once you feel that the industry has moved a little bit further along uh, which looking at the speed at which it's moving is probably not going to be that late from now
Well, Priyanka, thanks for your time. Always love chatting with you as well. Please come see me in LA. And I tell you what, if you come out here, I'd love to welcome you out to our factories. We have a really large factory coming online next year in Southern California. We already have a, a large one established up in, in Reno. So come see me. I'd love to show you what the supply chain looks like and do look forward to not just 10 years from now, but maybe within the next six months of chatting again and talking about how far the industry's come in just a short time. Well, there you go. I'm definitely going to take you up on that. And this is on record, so you can't even take it back now. So I'll see you in LA, Ben. <laughs> I will not take it back. I would never <laughs> do that to you. <laughs> Cheers, Thank you so much.